Hello friends! This is People Are Interesting with Jan K. In each episode of this show, unique individuals share stories that take us on a ride across ideas and places. Featuring crocodile attacks in Indonesia, escaping war-torn Lebanon, and shark protection schemes in Mauritania. This podcast takes you where you've never been before. Enjoy and thank you for joining the club. Okay, and we're running. Good evening or morning to everyone, depending on which part of the world you're tuning in from. Um, in particular, big shout out to a listener from Uganda. I saw I saw one person who tuned in and, and yeah, they were from Uganda. So if you're out there listening to it, reach out to me. I would definitely want to meet you. Um, but today we're with Killian done and thank you so much for accepting the invitation it's an honor thank you for having me yeah yeah it's fantastic so you're a power athlete um would you mind walking me through what sport you're competing in and what is your condition um yep so i was born with spina bifida which basically means i was born with a split spinal cord um so I've been paralyzed from the waist down uh, since birth and I have always kind of been fairly out there and um, fairly confident. So uh, my dad took me to a para sport open day in Dublin and uh, I tried a range of different sports, um, but athletics was what really took my eye when I got there. Um, so in my dad's past, he was a runner. So I kind of wanted to take on athletics myself then once he kind of said that but uh, I started off as a seated javelin shot button discus thrower so uh, as a young kid I was a fairly big guy so it kind of suited me to be a thrower um, so I competed I went on to train for that and eventually got chosen for the Irish squad for that and I competed at two world championships for that and then in 2012 I had a major bowel operation that caused me to lose a lot of weight uh, it was to do with my disability so I had to have it but um, so I lost a lot of weight after that operation. And instead of giving up sport, I said, no, I'm going to change sport. So I went looking again and I found wheelchair racing. And 18 months after my operation, I was back on the Irish squad as a wheelchair racer. Uh, and I haven't looked back since. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more questions about the racing as we go on. So I'll, I'll leave it there. And, and we okay, so, so javelin throwing and wheelchair racing, those are your domains. Those are your disciplines. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm fully with wheelchair racing now, so I don't throw anymore. Um, so I've kind of let go of javelin shot putting discus now, and I, I only race. But um, I do miss it some days, but it's for the best, really, because I'm doing a lot better with wheelchair racing than I was with throwing anyway. So um, that, that makes perfect sense. Actually, let's talk a little bit more broadly about this, because... Like myself, I would imagine that there are listeners who are aware of power athletes, but they they are not fully aware of what kind of disciplines they are competing. What yep. are some of the what are some of the some some of the disciplines that are, that are out there for power athletes, and what are some of your favorites? But for the ones that obviously you've been doing or are doing right now, 
so there's a massive range. You have um, obviously athletics. You have uh, wheelchair tennis, wheelchair table tennis, wheelchair swimming. Uh, what else? You put me on the spot now, Ian. <laughs> um, what else is there? There is para archery. There is. Uh, there's so many. The wheelchair there, rugby, wheelchair basketball. Um, yeah, I wanted to pick also, up on this one. The the wheelchair rugby, actually. It looks very, very interesting and kind of scary. It looks very hectic. It's absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> like, the hits. I've seen YouTube videos. I, I don't play it myself um, as it's for quadruplegic. So it's best to be for people who have more than like so they're either three limbs are affected or all their limbs are affected so because only my two legs are affected i can't uh qualify to play for it but i still watch it and it's very interesting and uh but i watched a video on youtube where they assessed the power of the crashes and it's basically the force that's created within in the crashes of which our winter rugby is similar to a car crash it's that powerful wow <laughs> Wait, could you take me back to what is the selection criteria for qualifying into the wheelchair rugby? Okay, so for wheelchair rugby, you have to be uh, quadriplegic. So basically, three or four limbs have to be affected. Um, so for me, I'm a paraplegic, so only two, only my two legs are affected. So therefore, I don't qualify for that sport. But there is wheelchair rugby seven, which isn't as well known yet as wheelchair rugby but um wheelchair rugby seven is for para, paraplegic so should I say um so hopefully in time that will get more popularity and will make its way into the paralympics um there is another sport wheelchair boxing that has come around as of recently and i would love to eventually see that in the paralympics because it's such a cool sport um you're basically in specialized chairs where you can still move around the ring and you're basically just the same rules as boxing it's based around the weight of each competitor and, and you just box like normal right. so i'd love to see it eventually in the paralympics wow i wasn't aware of that one that's i will need to look into that so yeah. in terms of your training for the for the things you you're doing now which is the a wheelchair racing what's what's mm -hmm. kind of like your regimen for training how do you train so on a normal training season i'll train seven days a week uh so that would be three gym days and three track or road days so in the gym i have two personal trainers who work with me like together as a team and they'll create programs for me for the gym that i can do uh, which can involve bench press pull-ups um, sled pulls, uh, different movements that will help me that are relative to wheelchair race. And then you'll have track days and road days. So track days will be set, again, set programs where I'll do pyramid training of uh, 200, 150, 150, 30, whatever, and back up. And then my road days will be maybe an 8-kilometer or 10-kilometer steady pace push. Uh, so like active recovery mm -hmm. um, so that will be or that has been what I've been doing but um, I'm due to get surgery on my leg in January and once that I'm recovered from that 
I'm hoping to up my training to twice a day. So we're yet to figure out what, what structure we're going to use for that. But um, the plan is to go full time with racing. And uh, so I've recently finished my degree there in November. Uh, I'm a qualified strength conditioning coach. So I'm basically a qualified personal trainer. And um, I've decided to just put that to the side for now and focus on my own sporting career while I can. And um, so basically from whenever I recover from this operation in January, I'll be training twice a day, every day uh, for the foreseeable future to see if I can try and qualify for the Paralympics in 2024 in Paris. Wow. What? Don't mind me asking, how do you assess your chances for that? I, to be honest with you, I'd be happy to even just qualify. Even if I came last, I wouldn't mind because I still got there. Um, for my first one, at least. Um, like, we'll say, for Paris, my goal is just to get there and make and kind of do my best to just make a name for myself there. Um, 2028 will be in LA. So that's the one I'm kind of, I'd be pressuring, pressuring myself more for to try and middle at that one. But for 2024, I'm just trying to make a name for myself for now. I love that. I love that. Fingers crossed and the best wishes with that. What's the, what's the, if I'm sure you must know a bit about that, what is the kind of, how commercialized is, is a life of a, of a power athlete? Can you make a living off of being a power athlete? You can, but it's very, very difficult, especially in Ireland. Um, it's very hard to get sponsorship for a sport that isn't very often te televised and therefore not very well known. Um, I'm the current number one wheelchair racer in Ireland. Um, yes, I'm not as known as I could be. So um, I am at the moment trying to find a sponsor, um, but the other problem is wheelchair racing is not a very easily sponsored sport as it's fairly expensive every year um like i'm hoping to upgrade my racing wheelchair in january as well um which i'll hopefully receive then in march um but that would be fourteen thousand euro minimum and just to buy the wheelchair so that alone is very expensive um but it is possible um once you make the elite panel for so it would say if i qualified for paris in 2024 i would automatically then receive government funding and then I'd also be approached by sponsors then. But the problem is not that, but it's to get to that point. So basically from now until that point, I'm fully self-funded and everything I do comes from me rather than the government. So my main aim now for the short term is to get to that elite team and then get government funding. Okay, that makes sense. 14K, what's so special about that wheelchair? So that's actually still not considered a very expensive wheelchair. Um, but by, by standards of a race wheelchair or by standards of any wheelchair? By standards of a racing wheelchair, yeah. So uh, at the moment, the number one, well, I, I can't really say number one, but like he's one of the top wheelchair racers in the world uh, from Switzerland. And he's using a fully carbon um, chair as well, but it's fully designed by a company in Switzerland but it's retailing for just short, short of 30,000 um, so it's available to buy but unless you have 30,000 <laughs> but um, yeah so 14,000 is still it's 
a beginner carbon share if you if you wish, but um, it's still an, a next step up from where I'm at. So at the moment I'm using a aluminium frame chair with carbon wheels, whereas the next step up for me will be this chair, which is the same brand I'm using, but just the carbon version. So the whole chair is carbon. Um, so it's automatically way lighter and their theoretical thoughts it's a lot faster then because it's lighter. What are other elements that make a good wheelchair but uh, racing wheelchair but for the but for the carbon fiber frame obviously which is light what about let's say wheels or I don't know well yeah so um, there's a lot of technicalities with it so like there's push rim size so the outer rim that you'll, you'll push the wheel with um, is based off the athlete's arm span. Uh, so it's right down to a fine tee of how the athlete is built. Um, then you also have, whether you're using full carbon discs, like famous cycling, or you'll use um, four-spoke carbon. So some people like to use the four-spoke carbon wheels for um, sprinting and then use full discs for endurance. Personally, I like to use the full discs for all events just works best for me um what's the difference also personally i found no difference but others feel that the four spokes are lighter than the discs so therefore they can get a better uh, initial pr- uh, production of speed um but for me i just find it the same with both so i just decided to use the discs um but then you'll also have custom gloves so my gloves are I have two sets of gloves. I have one that was 3D printed in England and I have another pair that were custom made by hand in uh, Japan. So, and both of them retail at over 200 euro to buy. So um, again, that's another um, factor for cost. But uh, yeah, so you'll have custom made gloves that solely fit my hand and, and wouldn't fit yours okay, if you tried to put them on. But uh, the little things that kind of get you more aerodynamic. So there's also athletes out there who shave their arms, they shave their heads um, to cut down time even more. Um, <clears throat> and imagine how much the, drag this beard creates. Yeah, I get a lot <laughs> of that. But I need to find a way because I love my beard, but I don't think I could ever lose my beard. Um, yeah, I keep it. <laughs> I'll have to find a way of tapering it down into a point. Uh, right. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of like... Why do, you, think why do you need those gloves that are especially tailored to you? So in racing wheelchairs, you don't push them as you would a normal wheelchair. Because if you think, if you're grabbing a wheel, you're as it moves, you're automatically slowing that wheel down. So in a racing wheelchair glove, your hand is tied into a fist and then it's strapped across the back of your hand. Um, <clears throat> so you're using your index and middle finger knuckles to pu- to punch the wheel as opposed to push the wheel. So if you're punching a wheel, it, you're not grabbing it, so you're not slowing it down, so you're just constantly building speed. And so that is a method that the majority of us use um, because it's just, it makes you quicker and it reduces, as you said, the drag that's put on the chair as well. So um, that's why we'd use the specialized gloves. That makes perfect sense. So what are the, what's the technique to move fast on a, during a race? That is quite easily the hardest part of our sport uh, because it, it takes years to master. Um, the, 
difference it's made in the recent years for me is phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> so if you imagine a wheel like a clock, the ideal push is to start at one o'clock and finish at around six or seven o'clock if your arm can extend that far. Then you'll come up and you'll bring your elbows up high and you'll move your hand around like in a kind of circular motion and you'll land back at one o'clock to go again. Um, so the idea of the high elbows is to prepare yourself to drive down again and bring more force through the wheel. Wait, so you're also um, pulling the wheel on its way up, like in the back? So it's like double-sided correct. motion, kind of? Yes, um, we call it the flick. So once you get to six, you're kind of flicking a wrist back towards seven. So you're giving it that extra shove. And that's, once you master that flick, the difference in speed is absolutely crazy. And um, another thing that I loved when I was starting out wheelchair racing was my initial coach always said, you have to push, fast, push slower to push faster. And I was always kind of like, what? And then I finally got it one day where I was pushing around the track and I gathered my speed up and then I just kind of threw my arms down, let them like, so it's basically for speed maintenance. So you're, you're keeping the wheels rolling at the speed you've produced, but you're, put, you're moving your arms slower, but you're still putting the force through the wheels. And it was just such a crazy feeling because it was the first time I had gone 30 kilometers an hour. And I was like, I only had like to really put in effort for maybe 10 or 20 pushes. And then I'm just maintaining speed the whole way until the final sprint when you're again going all out. What's your what's your what's your personal fastest you've ever gone? Uh, so on the flat 34k an hour and down <clears throat> downhill I've gone 52. How for how long would you be able to maintain a, a pace of 30 over 30 kilometers an hour? At my best probably 200 meters. Okay, fair. Fair. But I, I do want to increase that to maybe 400 meters because a, a, a new trend in which you're racing now is on the last lap of a, a longer race, they're kind of, they're really going for it from 400 meters to the finish. Whereas it used to be from 200 you went, but now it's 400. So it's kind of, I really need to work on my fitness to kind of bring it on to be able to hold that kind of speed for 400 meters as opposed to two. <clears throat> That makes sense. What's the so? Let's unpack your your events that you're doing during the races. What are the events that you're doing? So same as able bodies racing. So I'm doing 100, 200, 400, 800, 1500, and five k. And then for the winter, I'll do ten k and half marathon for training, just for fun, uh, to keep fit. <clears throat> But as for a competition, I think my best events are the eight, or sorry, the 400 and the 800, um, because just it's how I race my best. Um, unfortunately, for my category in the Paralympics, there's no 200 meters anymore. They took it out so they could accommodate other events for other athletes in different classifications, um, which is fair because everybody deserves uh, a place in the Paralympics. But um, so now I just decided that I need to focus on my 400 and 800 to qualify for the Paralympics. Um, but I, I, if you ask my favorite event, it would have been the 200. But because there's no event in the Paralympics, I just need to change my view. What's considered a sprint? 
everything up to 800 now. <laughs> um, what's what's so, the time? How long does it take to do 800? Um, so for me, I've done uh, 147.22 is my Irish record. Okay. Um, but the Paralympians are doing 131, 133. So like very, very fast. Um, they have the miles, so 1,500 meters down to, uh, what is it, uh, 251, I think it is now, for 1,500, so crazy fast. Um, and then to give you an idea, the ones that do marathon would do a marathon in an hour and 20 minutes. So, like, crazy. <laughs> but yeah, eventually I'd love to get to that point. But... How big is the, how big is the, how many athletes are there you know competing for a for for in your discipline so off the top of my head i think there's about 300 in um, ireland or no that's uh, globally um in ireland there is only four in my category um we have different categories of racers in ireland but in my category alone there's four uh, but globally, I'd say about 300, but that's not including athletes who haven't competed yet. So there could be way more than 300, but currently there's about 300 registered athletes. What's, you've mentioned that you have a category. What's your category? What do you mean by that? So my category is T54. So basically the Paralympics is done by categories. So to make it fair, so athletes with the same ability can race against each other or do their sport against each other. That's they're the same. So T54 is basically spinal cord injury. So um, it's, so from T51 to T54 is spinal cord injury cast. So T54 is kind of the most movement. So we have full upper body use. And then as you go down in numbers, they're more paralyzed as you go. So a T53 will have no ab function. T52 will have no lower chest function. T51 will have no upper chest function. Um, so it's kind of, if I get that right, I hope I get that right. But um, yeah, so it's basically based around those categories so that I'll only ever race T54s to make it fair and T51, 2 and 3s will only race against T51, 2 and 3s to make it fair. Um, now, at junior level, you will mix categories, but what they do is they have a point system called the RASA system. Um, and basically what that means is if I'm racing a T53, they'll base it off each of our classifications world record. So if we do 100 meters, for for example, my uh, world record is 1363, it's for my category, and I don't know the T53, but we'll say 1410, we'll say. So um, just for example, so if the T53, or sorry, if I beat the T53 in that race by a long shot, but he's still closer to his world record than mine, he'll overtake me and take the place to make yep. it fair because that's how they do it. Um, which I, I agree with at junior level. Um, but then once you get to Paralympic level, then it's all just straight races because you're all in the same category. So um, once you get to that point, it's just winner takes all. Are, there, are those categories accurate in terms of do the people who race within them, are they of same ability or are there still ver is there still variability within categories still 
so the majority of the time it is accurate, yeah. Um, but people with disabilities are never really going to be in set standards, we'd say. Like you're always going to have someone who's kind of on the verge of, we say, a T53 and T54. So there are athletes out there who are kind of, they're considered T53, T54. So therefore that athlete can choose which race they want to be in, um, which is fine because if they're on that kind of verge between the two, it's too hard to choose. So it's, it's the athlete's choice then. Um, that's not a very common occurrence. Um, in a lot of times, it's just very easily done and you come out with your confirmed classification and, and you go about your business. But uh, yeah, it, it, there is instances where athletes are kind of half and half. That makes perfect sense. That absolutely does make sense. What I would, what I've heard listening to you is, you've said this thing. Oh, everyone, uh, when you said that they removed the category that you particularly like, the two hundred meter category, you've said this thing that um, that's fair that they removed it because everyone deserves a, a spot. So if they had to do it to accommodate other athletes or I should say power athletes, that's totally fine. Um, what I would like to know, or maybe like we could explore this a little bit more, what's your perception, what's your point of view on, you know, inclusivity and basically diversity and inclusion? Because uh, most of the time you, I feel like you hear a lot about diversity and inclusion from people um, who are kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to phrase it, but people who are actually, in a way, um, they they don't need to maybe even worry in their daily lives about diversity and inclusion. Obviously, it's good that they do, but mm -hmm. I would imagine that your perspective might be different and maybe more in depth, or maybe more, you know, more rich or sophisticated yeah. whatever it might be whatever the word you would want to use to describe it um so yeah it's a good question um now in ireland i'm happy to say that inclusivity is coming in a lot more um in recent years we've been invited to everybody's athletics championships to race um now in, in previous years it was just exhibition races but um we're starting to be invited to races now where we're actually meddling, which is great because we're actually then fully included in that competition. Um, and it's great for everybody, people to see our races. And uh, like even, say, if I'm doing a 10K in the Christmas times, and it's funny because a lot of the time I'll go up to the race organizer and say that I'll be doing the race. And what they'll do is they'll give me a five-second head start for the crowd. And then when I finish the race, I'll factor back in that five minutes and they'll uh, calculate my time with the five minutes to make it fair on the crowd. So, um, but when a race organizer asks me for like, how long do you think you'll do a 10K in? And I'm like, oh, maybe 26, 27 minutes. And uh, they're like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And kind of making weird faces and like, is he serious? And then I'm, I'm back in like 26 minutes flat and they're kind of like, oh my God, <laughs> because they just, I suppose it's not out of a bad thing. It's just, they don't expect the wheelchair user to be so fast and so strong. 
they just kind of see a wheelchair user just be like, oh, fair play to him for even being here. And then they just get such a shock when I'm back in 26 minutes and they're kind of like, wow, this is amazing. And that's what I love because I love kind of showing people that, yeah, I, I sit in a wheelchair, but I'm no different to any other athlete. Um, so that's what I love about the inclusivity is that not only am I shocking people, but I'm also educating those people and making them want to see it more and more. And they're also respecting our sports more and more. Um, and even now in Ireland, you're seeing a lot more ads on television with para-athletes in it, um, which is brilliant because it's giving us more TV time and more, um, giving the population more knowledge on us and what we do. That makes perfect sense. <clears throat> What's, I'm sure you're a, you're a person who, you know, your mindset is pretty, pretty unusual. It seems like you're very resilient. Maybe you would like to talk a little bit about that, the kind of road you, you've traveled to be this confident person that you are now. Was it always like this? Did you have to, you know, face any obstacles on the way? Yeah, um, I have always been very open um, and I've always loved being asked questions, especially by kids and stuff. Um, yes, I've had hard times. I've had times where I've not wanted to be who I am and I've been ashamed of being, of being who I am. Um, but thankfully, I've gotten over that and I love myself now and I love who I am now. Um, and I, I've worked with sports psychologists who've helped me get to this point. Um so yeah, like no human is perfect. We all have our, our down days, as I call them, but uh, it's it's what you make of yourself at the end of the tunnel is what matters. Um, but for me, yeah, it's just um, mental health is a huge part of my life now. Um, and I just love kind of doing school talks and stuff. And even when I go to them, a lot of the time they ask, are you upset about being in a wheelchair? And like now... I'm like, no, I, I'm not. I love it. Because um, I've never seen my wheelchair as a medical device. I've always seen it as similar to a skateboard. Like, what tricks can I do with this? Ooh, a staircase. Let's hop that staircase. Um, I've just always been kind of pushing the boundaries, really. Um, and it's those kind of people that I was talking about previous there that think, oh, aren't you great for being out? Um, <laughs> even when I drive to town, I drive with hand controls in my car. So when they see me park up in the disabled space and they kind of look at me as if to say like what's the young guy doing parking in the disabled space and then I open my car door turn off my car and whip out my wheelchair onto the site and they're kind of like oh my god he's not driving that and it's just again it's not out of badness it's just pure ignorance and not knowing about the technology we have these days that allows me to drive and allows me to do things independently um but yeah I just I love continuing to push the boundaries and, and educating people and my main goal now so as I was saying in the previous my uh, qualification is applied strength and conditioning coaching so I've now specialized in coaching disabled people so um, what I want to do is I want to get rid of the stigma that many disabled people have of oh I'm in a wheelchair I can't do this I can't do that and I want my job to be you can do whatever you want to do as long as you train for that thing or like it doesn't necessarily have to be a sporting thing. If that person wants to be able to transfer from their chair to the couch to watch TV, I want to be able to coach that person to get the strength to be able to independently transfer themselves from their chair to the TV 
or sorry, to the couch to watch TV. Um, I just want to make people think more confidently and therefore, because they're thinking com- confidently, they'll get more confident and be able to work harder towards their goal and be a better person um, and think more of themselves because I think that's a big thing in the disabled community is a lot of people don't think much of themselves when they should be. Um, so, yeah. Let's talk about this a little bit more. I think there are some universals le- universal lessons f- coming from that. What do you think is holding people back, generally speaking, um, and you know, uh, also in the uh, wheelchair users or people with other disabilities, not necessarily only on wheelchairs? And how do they, in your personal observations, how do they manage to overcome the difficulties they're facing? Yep. So not even just with disabled people, but in pe- with people in general, I see a lot of um, people holding back on who they are because, oh, I can't be seen to be like this because the crowd I want to be with don't like it. And I'm kind of like, you need to be yourself because you'll only be happy being yourself. And yes, you can make up things to try and fit in, but those people will then not know the real you. And it's the real you that they should care about, not who you think that they want you to be. And I think that is a big issue in young people now, especially with social media. They have a lot of, um, like even on Instagram, they have a lot of high standards. And I put that in inverted commas here, but um, they kind of want to live up to things that mightn't even be real. And they want to look a certain way because they've seen it on Instagram. But those things are heavily photoshopped in some cases. And they're basically just living up to false advertising. Um, so I think a big thing is you just need to be happy in, in your own self. And uh, if that means you want to go to the gym to work on yourself for yourself, then absolutely. But if you're going to the gym to work on yourself for someone else, you're not really doing it for you, are you? You're doing it for who you think you should be. So my big thing with my clients is be yourself and love yourself. Um and find out who you want to be and be that person. I love that. I support this message 100%. You actually use this word stigma that some of the people you meet, they are kind of self-stigmatizing. What, what, are, what do you mean by that? And how do you see people kind of growing out of it or overcoming it, if you will? Yep. So like, especially when I was younger, with the everybody community towards me. Um, there'd be instances where someone would ask my parents, oh, does he do this, does he do that? And then I'd answer for myself. And they kind of look at me shocked because, oh, he can talk. But they've decided already in their head that, oh, he's in a wheelchair, so he can't do anything. And that's that was one of the biggest boundaries I wanted to push because I wanted to show people, yeah, I sit in a piece of metal, but that's all it is to me. It's not a wheelchair, it's a piece of metal that gets me around. Um, because I think in the olden times, they just, they treated people a lot differently because there was the lack of the education there. Um, whereas now things are very, very different. And uh, you see a lot more disabled people in higher power places and um, just people need to kind of nearly catch up with the times, um, which can only be done through education from the disabled community. Uh, which is why I, I was saying I love the questions because even when I'm out in a shopping centre, if I notice a kid like 
oh ma'am why is he in that a lot of the time in Ireland at least I see the man struggling to pull that child back and like no you can't ask that but if I catch that I'll go over to the child and ask them to say it again because that child will only learn if they ask that question they won't learn if they're continuously held back um and therefore you're creating more and more generations of oh this is a special population as opposed to oh look there's Killian like he's no different to me let's have a chat with him um so that's a, one of my biggest things that I love doing is just consistently educating the everybody community about who we are and what we do I like that actually let me ask you this is is the term oh he is a person with a disability is that is that how you should be is is that you know polite or is there a different way that uh, that you think works better there is a lot of ways that would be one of the best ways to say it yeah um it's all down to personal preference um some people don't like saying disabled um and are fine saying handicapped some people are fine saying disabled and don't like saying handicapped um it's very very different in different situations then you have some people who like saying they're crippled because now I'm I will admit I am one person who does like saying crippled but in saying that there's a reason behind that and my reason for saying crippled would be because disabled means I can't do something whereas crippled means am I physically crippled yes but am I not able to do something no I'm I'm like it's not necessarily publicly a nice word but when there's that kind of meaning behind it I feel it could be okay for me to use we'll say like we'll say for an everybody person I would prefer them to say oh he's a person with a disability but if I was talking to a fellow friend who I knew was okay with the word I I would refer to myself um, because I have that like definition in my head behind why I called myself crippled um but now it's not a very popular way of calling yourself that but I just I have this dislike for handicap and disabled so I just referred to crippled because it was the easiest definition I could use that wasn't undermining myself if that makes sense that makes so much sense I feel like because the the term power athlete there is something really empowering about that one right whereas whereas i see what you mean by saying that the word oh he has a disability it like it, it doesn't have the same effect i feel like it's kind of like the problem it's it's the problem of language rather than um rather than actual abilities isn't it oh yeah and like there was a time where they wanted to change the universal word from disability to something else but like the most common answer was differently abled but a lot of people didn't like that because you were still kind of showing that they're different from society when they're not so it's a very hard subject to change um but for professional use i would use a person with a disability but if i was talking to a friend i'd say crippled because i have my way of thinking got but, it um, that makes so yeah. much sense so, what do you think people without disabilities don't get about people with a disability or about the community generally speaking is there even such thing and that's a second question um and how does it function if there is a community or of people with uh disabilities so 
there's a lot of things like even with my friends when they first got to know me there was a lot of things that they didn't think about when like taking me places and stuff like that um when it came to going off for a trip in the car it would have to be at least a sedan sized car because my wheelchair wouldn't fit into anything smaller than a, a Ford Mondeo would say um so for start to even get me somewhere the car needs to be big enough um then something else that didn't factor in would be the width of doors, door frames. So sometimes they'd say, oh, let's go to this place for food. And we get there and the door is too slim, but by millimetres, but it's enough to stop me getting into the place. Um, other times before I learned how to ascend and descend, there's those steps up into bars that I was like, oh, that's it. Can't go here. Um, as in my friends would say that. And that's what kind of spurred me on to learn how to do it because if we get to a place now, I can just use the banister and pull up. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like little things that people don't think about. That you might even just go about your day, and there could be fifty things I could see that I couldn't do, or not that I couldn't do, but that would inhibit me from doing certain things that you would fly through. Um, but it's just the little things that they've learned over the years, and like even now they'll send me pictures of places they've been to that we want to go to again. And they're like, well, don't worry, kids, we've checked. We, we can get you in here. And it's, it's great to see they're adapting their lives to what I can do. So how did you sol solve the, what was your answer to the door frame millimeters too narrow? <laughs> so what uh, we've learned to do is take one wheel off and then my friend will come in behind me and use the back handle of my chair and just hold me up and they'll push me through the door and then put the wheel back on so it gets me in then <laughs> i like that no it's not ideal but it works it yeah it does the job what about the what about scaling stairs how what's your technique for that um because that so sounds really, to me so oh sorry to to to, uh, to interject because uh, to me that's because to me that sounds quite daunting honestly it was scary the first time. Um, I went to a training day in County Limerick in Ireland um, where they taught us different skills. And basically, for a lot of the day, it was very easy for me because I could do a lot of what the things were. But then at the end, they were they threw in a surprise, which was going up and down stairs. And uh, they'd be like, is there anyone here that wants to try it? And I immediately put my hand up. I was like, yeah, I have to do this. Um, and people were kind of like, really? <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, so they taught me. So basically going up, it's a very hard technique to do. And you do have to wear a belt on the chair because what you'll need to do is to go up, you need to reverse your chair up to the main step and kind of lie back enough that the front wheels lift off the ground. And then you'll use both hands on the banister and you'll pull yourself up. And because you have a, a belt on your chair, the chair will lift up underneath you as you pull. So you don't really have to touch the, the wheels. So it does take a lot of strength to use on the banister to just pull yourself up and it's pretty difficult because depending on the amount of steps um you won't be able to take a break if it's one continuous flight so you have to just keep moving uh sometimes you'll get maybe four steps and you'll have a platform so you can take a quick break get a breath and go again but for a continuous flight it's very difficult um going down is similar um you reverse over the first step and you hold on to the banister again and you basically you just let the banister slip through your hands, very controlled, obviously, but you let the banister slip through your hands and you pop down each step. 
and get to the bottom. Okay. I can understand how it works when you go down. I am somewhat struggling to understand how it works when I when you go up. I will need to watch look it up on YouTube, I think. I think I have a, a rough mm-hmm. understanding of how it how it works. And yeah, especially like going down, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it was the first time, but it actually got quite fun after a couple of runs. Um, but yeah, they, they were pretty happy with me by the end of the day. And, and they said that, that they would trust me to be able to do it by the end of the day, um, mm-hmm. which was nice. Because um, it's added to my independence now, which is great. Um, yeah, I mean... Because there are stairs everywhere, right? So it's really... Yeah. How, how many, just of, of pure curiosity, how many can you do in one go? Stairs? Uh, I haven't Steps. had to do it very often, but um, I've done... Well, I did a full flight that day in training, which was about 40 or 50 steps. But um, there was someone behind me for that day, but they weren't holding onto my chair, so it was all me. So they were just there that if something went wrong, they'd catch me, but... That day was 50 steps, around 50 steps. Um, oh, that was fun because going down once it's controlled, it's fairly, you can go at your own pace. So by the time I had done it a few times, I was like, boom, 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 boom. And it just got very fun. Like, <laughs> so Okay. Then, okay, that makes yeah, sense. So that'd be the most, but I wouldn't have to do it very often because in fairness, where I live is very accessible. So um, I don't really have to worry about it, but it's just good to have um, as time goes on. That, yeah. Thanks for explaining that one. Actually, it's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, a little thing, but it's a it's a big it's a it's a little thing, but it's a big topic if you think about it. How you how do you scale chairs if you're on a wheelchair? I have this one kind of unorthodox question. It would seem to me that it is unorthodox, but maybe you get asked of it ask this question all the time. What, in your opinion, from from your point of view, and it can be just from your perspective as well, not necessarily generalizing to other people with disabilities as well. What are some of the advantages of having a disability, if there are any? Individuality. Um, automatically being proud of who you are because you're not going to be falling into certain categories straight away that people might put you in um i firmly believe that i'd be a totally different person if i was able-bodied um i don't believe i'd be an athlete i think i'd be very very lazy if i was able-bodied because there's so much more i could do that i wouldn't have to think about so i'd just be a lot more relaxed about life as opposed to who i am now who just is constantly striving for more um I think if I was everybody that wouldn't be thinking about the disabled community at all, because um, simply because I wouldn't have to if I was everybody, so I wouldn't have the knowledge of this community that I do now. Um, but yeah, it it does it has its advantages. Like yes, it has accessibility disadvantages, but even at that, there's very few of them with the right mindset. Um, like. I've just grown up feeling like I can do anything my friends can do. And it has been the biggest, it has made the biggest difference in my life because of thought like that. And I just, without it, I don't think that I would be who I am today. So, uh, but yeah, there is lots of positives to being in a chair and it's not all doom and gloom, as they say. Um, Yes, there's a lot of medical things to go along with it. There's a lot of underlying things that people don't see. 
Like a lot of people will talk to me and be like, oh, you're so lucky you get to sit down all day because they solely think I'm in a wheelchair and that's it. But they don't see the underlying medical conditions that I have along with my disability, that it's more than just the chair. Um, so yes, there's all that, but it's basically just how you think about yourself and how you think about your life and what you want to do. Um, so yeah, mindset is huge. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually that leads me on to another question that I would like to ask, which is, so I feel like right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're in at this stage where there is a lot of emphasis on, you know, let's say making train platforms accessible and being inclusive in the sense that trying to make people with disabilities function in the society as seamlessly as, you know, they wish. Where do you see, and, and, in, and in my opinion, it's almost like, a, in a way, inclusivity is kind of like an ideology, you could say, right? Um, where, where do you see it going and evolving? What is going to be the next step, for example, for you? What would you like to see happening? happening in the future because you've already mentioned that a lot has changed in terms of how people think about uh, people with disabilities and as a result of that how the society is organized some some things that used to be taboos back in the day are not very much so anymore um where do you where do you see the those this 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 going further i would love to see like, even though it's coming through now, I'd love to see a lot more televised, um, even just shows with disabled characters um, and integrating them into storylines um, or even in jobs such as a newsreader or a weather person or whatever, just to be able to constantly see someone with some form of a disability on TV uh, would be amazing. Um, to see people with disabilities in high power jobs um, to sh- not for the purpose of seeing them there but to show that even though they have a disability they've made their way up the ranks to then be in that spot um, just uh, there's a lot more than the accessibility side of things that I would focus on rather than that because accessibility in Ireland is coming on there is still problems with you say the train system and stuff where lifts are out of order or to certain platforms which is being worked on but very slowly um, but aside from accessibility like there's just a lot I'd love to see so like the high power jobs and, and just more people on TV and stuff and even teachers like something as simple as teachers I'd love to be able to pass by a school where a teacher is letting the kids go on at 3 o'clock or whatever time they finish and they're in a chair and people are just like yeah that's Mr. Whoever not oh, that's Mr. Whoever who's in a chair. It's just, it's the norm by then. Um, so there is a lot that I would love to see in general life. Um, and I do think that it will come to a point where it will be like that someday. Um, but even in my profession, like I'm qualified to coach both able-bodied and disabled people. Um, granted, I do coach more disabled people at the moment, but I'm also part of, I'm a, assistant coach with a group called Multiskills, which is basically um, kids, we coach kids the fundamental movement skills. So like uh, throwing, catching, jumping, hopping, skipping, etc. Um, so when I started, they were like, how are you going to teach us this? And then I found, I adapted myself to, to 
use like certain instruments and stuff to pick up and show them. So like uh, if I wanted them to go through a hoop, I'd pick up the hoop and I'd pass my arm through the hoop. So I'd be like, this is your body. I want you to jump through the hoop. And so I'll jump through the hoop. And I, as I'm doing that, uh, talking to the end guys, I'm imagining I'm doing the movement. Um, but yeah, so like there's ways of getting around everything. Um, so it is very possible for a person with disability to take on people with it, like in the able-bodied community. Um, so yeah. I like that. I, I, I like that. And obviously that's amazing. And, you know, it's just amazing that you can be doing what you want to be doing. What, what about some of the taboos that are still around people with disabilities? Are there any, in your opinion? And if so, what do you think could be done to get rid of them? Or maybe some of taboos are good, actually, that, that exist. What's your, what's your perception on that? In Ireland, it's getting a lot better, I think. There's less and less taboos because as the years have gone on, they've televised the Paralympics more and more and more. And people are starting to respect people with disabilities a lot more because they're starting to see that, like, not just the athletes, but people in general. There's less of, God, aren't you great for going and getting your own shopping? And now it's just like, oh, hi, Jim, nice to see you. Like, it's just, they're being treated a lot better now. Um, there's a lot less taboos than there was a couple of years ago where you would get people kind of uh, unintentionally demeaning people with disabilities, trying to be nice, but not doing it in the best way. But as the years have gone on, the education of it has been so much better and it's slowly getting rid of us. But um, I can't say the same for different countries as I don't live there, but in Ireland, it's getting a lot better. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What about um, some of the maybe most common faux pas that maybe you have encountered? I think the driving was a big one where they're like, you're not driving my car. And then I'd have to get into my car and show them that the hand controls move the brakes and the accelerator. Um, or like, I'm trying to think of the other ones I've gotten in. But like, even if I was late for something and I was speeding down the street and people would comment, oh, don't be racing down the road now, you're not a car. And like, yes, to me, it's funny. But to other people, it'd be like, you're referring to me as a car and I'm not a car, I'm a human. So there is, like, I wouldn't personally take that like that, but other people would. And there's less and less of that now, which is great. But, like, I'm still a guy who loves to crack jokes about who I am, but it's not for everyone, but it's just how I get along with my life. But um, it's it's just a lot better. There's very, very little... Um, which is a great thing for once that I can't really talk about the taboos because they're not there, which is so good. That's amazing. Well, we've almost done an hour, which was a which was a cracker in my opinion, and I think we're gonna wrap it up with this very on a very positive and high note. I would say, D is there anything you wanna say before we close the show? I just wanted to say thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed this. Um, and if anybody wants to follow me, they can find me on Instagram. It's Killian underscore Dunn underscore T54. And on Facebook at Killian Dunn T54 Wheelchair Racer. Perfect. So thank you very much for having me, Ian. Really appreciate it. Really thank, you for, it. thank you for accepting the invitation. It's wealth of knowledge you've got. Thank you very much.
Perfect. Until the next time. Uh, bye, everyone.